What is up, Talcasters? Welcome back. It is December 1st. We are in the last month of this insane year that is 2020, and I'm so pumped that you have tuned in again. You're the best, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you because it is with my good homie. He is a Twitter personality. He's hilarious. He is a city planner. He is very passionate about geography. We get into all sorts of different stuff. We get really vulnerable about relationships, about life, about art, about divorce, about our relationship with food, about therapy, confidence. It's all in there, and it's freaking awesome. Chris is the man. I used to call him Vanakin, like Vanakin Skywalker, but his real name is Van Aiken. So please call him that because uh, we want to show some respect to the Twitter overlord himself. Those of you who are tuning into Talcast for the first time, please like and subscribe. Um, if you're tuning in from Twitter because you know Chris from Twitter, I did take questions there. Um, from his loyal followers that we get the majority of those questions answered, um, except for the X-rated ones. We left those off. So get your mind out of the gutter, people. Anyways, um, if you feel so inclined, please contribute to my Patreon. That's going to be in the show notes. And without further ado, I think we should just let her rip because Chris is the man and he's the best and I love him. And just go tell him that you love him. If you know him, go right on his timeline. Tell him that you enjoyed this episode. Like and subscribe! Chris Van Aken. Hello, Talmud. How's it going? I used to call you, um, I used to call you Vanakin on the mission. Did Van- you do that like as a bit or did you not know how my name was pronounced? It was as a bit because um, other people called you that. So I wanted to fit in, you know, <laughs> they were like, I, I oh yeah, Vanakin. Um, I feel like to start off, we should kind of tell the world how we know each other. I want, I want your, yeah. I want your take on that. Okay, so essentially, you were in the mission. I want to say about a year when when I showed up. And so, for, and for the listeners who don't know, so we were both missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Okay, I had to get that out really fast. Um, it, it, otherwise you have to take a breath in between uh yeah so so i got there and you'd been there for about a year and i was like oh man this dude like seems really cool and really put together and like looks like he belongs on a box of kinder chocolate <laughs> as like the mascot like, i don't know who this dude is but he seems he seems intimidating and unapproachable and cool and and then you were my zone leader, and I was like, oh, he's just a regular guy. And, yeah. And then we went on that exchange where you threw up on that, that tree. So and, yeah. I want to I tell that story real quick because um, – so also for the listeners, for those of you who don't know, like when you're a missionary, you usually stick with one other missionary as like your companion who you like live with and you teach with every day. But occasionally you'll like switch up and you'll go with a different companion. And so you and I went for a day and like, that was, we didn't really know each other before then. Like we'd met each other maybe and like chatted for like a second. Right. And then um, also when you're a missionary, you're supposed to get fed dinner every night by the members of like the local congregation. And every family feeds you like you haven't eaten in three weeks and you like just got picked up by search and rescue. Exactly. And then I remember when we were on that exchange, 
we like accidentally had like four dinners. Do you remember that? Was, yeah. I, well, I, I can't think of another time in my life where I felt more on the brink of death. I can't like, because like, like I genuinely thought that I might have a medical episode at that fourth dinner. Cause I was like sweating through the main meal and just like, I don't know how much more I can have. And then they brought out dessert and I was just like, <laughs> I like almost started crying. It was yeah, miserable. Like, I was staring into the void. Cause I remember we had a dinner planned and the lesson right before the lesson before the dinner, they surprised us with dinner. So it was like, we had a dinner, then we had the planned dinner. And then we had like two dinners that were unexpected that were like people we were teaching just cooked for us. We're like, Hey, surprise, we cooked for you. And so like after the fourth dinner, we're driving, were we like back to the apartment yet? I can't even remember. And I just we remember. Were, like, yeah. And you just like ran to the tree and I was like, where's he go? Oh, <laughs> and I hear you just like, just wretch, like, like this visceral, just from the very depths of your soul, just, <gasps> yeah, I, I put my finger down my throat and I just threw up spaghetti, like all over this bush. And, um, it, it was, it was, it was the only mom spaghetti moment that I've seen in real life, but it was something. Yeah. Like I definitely, I was pulling a Marshall Mathers, um, hardcore and it, it was like, I feel like we were pretty much like fast friends from that day on. Like we were so bonded by that trauma. It was trauma. Bond. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, what's well, like those dudes in the army where it's like, you've seen some stuff together. So like that bond never goes unbroken. Absolutely. So I feel like, we, and, I, and I don't, I don't talk about it with people except for all the time or whenever I feel like it. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. It's like, I don't enjoy the activities I used to, you know, I used to enjoy eating dinner until I had five dinners in a row. <laughs> I used to enjoy eating six kilos of spaghetti at once. Oh man. Until the incident. Until uh, the incident. Yeah. And then, I mean, we kind of like hung out intermittently in college a little bit. Like, I feel like we would like see each other and um, freaking. And then you came out to visit me like at the beginning of this year in New York. That was fun. I did. Before, that was a blast. It was like before any of us knew the world was going to end this year. And um, we've had some good times for sure. We have. So eating eating pork in that park in Chinatown, man. Yeah, that was a, that was. I reminisce about that a lot. That pork was correct, dude. It was correct. That meal was correct, a hundred percent correct. Um, I just I remember like it had like five stars on Yelp, but there was no menu. No one spoke English in the restaurant, and like there was no prices. There was like dead ducks hanging from the <laughs> the wall. It was awesome though. It was it was awesome. And it was cheap too. It was like seven bucks. I wish I remembered the name of the place. Every time I go to New York, I try to find it. And like half the time I do and half the time I don't. Yeah. I guess I could probably like write down the name one time and solve this problem. But <laughs> yeah, I just, get too, I just get too excited about my pork that in the, in the heat of the moment, I forget. Yeah. And, and, and the heat of the heat of the moment's more fun in life, really, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to plan too many things. Oh yeah. You have to have spontaneity. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of a good segue. I just want to like introduce what we're going to talk about. Cause okay. you, I mean, technically the, 
the sort of like vague um, structure of the podcast. We talk about like art or music or literature that like you're passionate about. But I feel like what's, what's interesting about you and it's, it's legitimately really cool is you're really passionate about like geography and like city planning and like, that's really unique. And I remember you came and visited me in New York and I'd only been living there for a few months and you already knew like all everywhere you could go in New York and you knew like all the different subway lines and like all the geography. And I thought that was really fun. Like it was fun to hang out with you and like see how passionate about that you were. Um, so we're going to, we're going to talk about that later, but first we need to take questions from our, our Twitter, your Twitter fans, I should say your Twitter fans, not our Twitter. fans. Uh-oh. Okay. Here we go. Um, before I, before I ask you this question, so you're like legit 10 out of 10 hilarious on Twitter. Like, I feel like you could be a comedian. Um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I probably have to get divorced another time before I can go be a comedian and be successful. <laughs> I'm so glad you. I don't know. I'm so glad you brought up your divorce because I wasn't going to bring it up, but now I feel like it's fair game, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't know what there is to say, but other than self-deprecation and like talking about how how it irreparably damaged me and stuff, but well, yeah, other than that, it was great. But I mean, you know, you're here, you're alive, and you're thriving, and you're like, you're oh yeah, and, and honestly, like truly for the listeners at home like people bounce back you can bounce back from almost anything and it will take longer than you want yeah but you can do it and you'll and i mean i think about it in three and a half years ago i was miserable dude i was like on the verge of suicide i was i was in ohio so yeah i mean if that just sets the stage yeah i was not doing well but like but now i've got a good job i've got a good social network i'm feeling happy and i don't know man it's just i wouldn't have believed it back then that i would be doing this well in in such a short amount of time yeah um i guess like i know that we kind of joked about like food trauma earlier but that's like a real trauma do you have any insights or like advice for people listening on how you've bounced back? Like, do you have any strategies? Cause I've, I've like witnessed it as your friend, you know, like I've been able to see like the progression, I guess. What, what are your, what's your secret? You know? Um, I mean, my secret, let me think. I think removing myself from a traumatic situation the best I could was, was the precursor to, you know, ba- bouncing back and being more physically healthy. But even even then, like, there were some residual effects. Like, my first semester back at school after we'd separated and after I was, like, doing better mentally, I was still spending, like, 25 bucks a day on fast food and just, like, like taking an unbelievably – taking unbelievably bad care of myself. Yeah. And, and so I – I realized like, okay, I'm out of the situation, but I'm still using the same coping skills, even though I don't really need to as much. And so I don't know. I think, I think people's relationship with food can be tricky because there are addictive substances where you can avoid them completely. Right. Like, like if I had a problem with abusing stimulants, for example, I could be like, okay, well, I guess, I guess I just won't you know, take Adderall or whatever. 
Right. Or if I, or if I'm an alcoholic, I can say, okay, I can, I can function fully without drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. But, but with food, like everybody eats food and you have to eat food. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think a lot of it is reframing your relationship with it. Interesting. And, and so I think, I think for me, uh, no, I'm not going to project that onto that and be that reductive. I'll say there are certain relationships in your life where you can leave them. And there are certain relationships in your life where you can repair them the best you can. Okay. So, I mean, like if you're dating somebody who's not treating you well and the relationship's not serving you, you can leave. Like right. you can, you can be done. You can move on. You can cut the cord completely. If you have, you know, a boss that doesn't treat you well or or a family member that doesn't treat you well that's harder to create that separation sure and and so i think i think much in the same way it's just a matter of setting boundaries and understanding that that person or that thing's role in your life and just doing your best to make it a healthy role in as much as you can yeah, and I, and I realized that was kind of like a rambling way to say it, but the bottom line is there's, there's food that makes you feel good and there's food that makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I think just being more in tune with it has helped me. And like, I'll still eat the food that makes me feel bad sometimes, but like, I'll be more cognizant of that. I'll be like, oh man, I, I just had like a whole Beto's burrito and I love Beto's burritos, man. Oh, yeah. But like, but they will do you in. Yeah. They will take you behind the building and give you the business. <laughs> and so I think I think it's just a matter of like being aware of that and you know you have to you have to treat yourself every now and then but you you also have to take good care of yourself. So yeah, it's it's interesting because like I mean, I've never been divorced so I can't, you know, relate on that level, but at the same time I've had some mental health struggles and I feel like there are others, those things that you do every day to like cope and mm-hmm. food has definitely been one of those things for me where like, I love to eat and I feel like I get, oh, a, dude, big, I know. I get a, a big like dopamine rush from eating. And I also like my brain chemistry is very malleable based on what I eat. So like, I feel like I know people where they, they could forget to eat lunch and they kind of remain relatively emotionally stable. Whereas like, if I'm like not on top of my game, as far as like eating and keeping calories in my system, I, I really feel it. So I feel like when I, when I do eat, it kind of feels like a drug in a way. And, and I've definitely have used it at times to like self-medicate, you know, and just cause like sometimes like yeah. nothing feels better than just sitting down and eating like a burrito and a whole thing of carne asada fries. And you just eat until you could, you could puke to bring it full circle. You know, like it feels good in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. And, and we're back to it. Yeah. We're back to it. I I totally agree. And I think, I think again, it's tricky because you can't, you can't completely eliminate that out of your life. And also food is such a, such an integral part of the social fabric Mm -hmm. of, uh, of any society. And I mean, I was going to talk about this a little bit with the geography thing where geography really shapes everything we do. And there are certain cultures and, American culture is one of them where 
we eat and that's how we socialize. And that can be, that can be a wonderful thing. It really can, but it can also be dangerous and it can be, it can be like, Oh, I feel sick already, but my grandma's going to feel bad if I don't eat a slice of this pie and I don't want to hurt her. Therefore, and that's not, you know, that's not serving you. That's, that's like temporarily appeasing somebody, but long-term, like it's not good for either of you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely, there's that interesting balance that you have to strike where you want to have healthy relationships with other people, but you also like really want to be working on yourself enough to where you can like show up for those people. Um, Right. And like, you shouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't ditch your friends every, every time you get invited out because you're going to like, sit at home and eat chia seeds and meditate like well dude the, the, on that note though like i for a few months when i was in college i went on the keto diet to try and fix some like stomach issues i was having how'd it and, go and um i know we've talked about keto before but like i legitimately i could never during that period of time i like could not go out to eat with people because like there was never anything i could buy that that was like because it's such a stringent like um, strict diet. And right. So like, You'd have to be like, can I just get a cup of cheese and bacon? Exactly. Yeah. It's and like, that's oh, it. Like a cup of like drawn butter and everyone's like, this is gross. Like, and I, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's weird. It is weird how like how social food becomes. Um, yeah. And like I say, I mean, let me reiterate that that's not a bad thing necessarily, but I think, I mean, it's much like a recovering alcoholic has to, you know, maybe not go to bars for their, for their own sake. Not that bars are inherently a bad thing, but maybe for you, they can't be. And so I think it's just, I think it's just on an individual scale, figuring out the boundaries that you personally need and setting them. So do you feel like as you've, so it sounds like you kind of, after your divorce, you like self-medicated with food. And then as you've like taken care of yourself more, have you noticed that it's improved your relationships? with other people? Cause I know you've had a few relationships since the divorce and they've been awesome from what I hear. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it can still be tricky. Um, I'm very much the kind of person where if there's food nearby, I want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel that. And, I, and I think a lot of people are that way. And so, I mean, relationship wise, I think, I mean, I think I've had to compromise some where it's like, okay, no, I know we both love going out to eat, but we shouldn't do that every day. But I mean, on a more general scale, yeah, I, the better care I'm taking of myself, the better I feel in general. And the more, the more I have to give a partner or a friend or a coworker. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say yes. I mean, the more, when I, when I'm, when I'm in tune with taking care of myself, and when I'm being deliberate about that, I, I feel better. And I think that radiates the people in my life. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like when I'm like really trying to put in the time to like have discipline that no one else sees, like working out or like diet, meditation, whatever, then I feel like when I'm around people, I have more confidence. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I have more like intrinsic confidence and I like feel like I deserve to have people in my life, which I feel like everyone should always feel like they deserve to have people in their life. But I, I feel like I, I feel it more genuinely more so. And I'm like more disciplined, you know? 
That's awesome. Well, and, and yeah, I think, I think the better we feel about ourselves, I mean, when you, people are drawn to that confidence. And so, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of deserving people in your life. And, and I know it's not, I know it's a feeling more than a reality, but I think when you are more confident and more just like happy with who you are, people are drawn to that and people can interact with that in a much more healthy way. Yeah, for sure. Like it's really interesting. And I mean, we're getting vulnerable really fast, which is really good. I know, man, this is, this is <laughs> part of the course with me. I opened right up but, and so, it's a blessing and a curse, but like for me personally in, with dating, like I think that, you know, like I'm a musician and like I've worked hard to get like pretty good at it. And I feel oh, yeah. like I've, I've had like girls where they'll find out about my music or they'll like see me play live and like Tal's rad. Like he's so good at the guitar and like, I want to date him. But I, it's really like, I struggle so much with confidence that I feel like I've lost a lot of potential. Like people will be like interested and then they'll like get to know me and they're like, Oh wait, like Tal's like an anxious, nervous wreck. <laughs> and like, that's kind of how it is. Like, I feel like I've gone on, I've a lot of like, three date relationships where like the girl's like, Oh, Tal's like, Tal's a badass. Like he's so like, you know, he's like a rock star. And then they get to know me and they're like, what, like what's going on here? Like something's wrong. And I, and I think that that like, I'm not trying to tear myself down. I just think that that's something I'm working on is like really having like a intrinsic confidence to be able to show up for people. And people want to be with you when you are confident about who you are, you know, and I'm really not that way. Naturally. Well, in- and I agree, I agree that people are confident with, I mean, people, people are drawn to you when you're confident with who you are, but also people need to be more readily willing to accept the whole package that somebody brings because anybody, anybody can be the, the rock front man or the equivalent of that for a finite amount of time. But eventually, you know, those walls come down and like your vulnerable side shows and I think, I think a lot of people are so afraid of their own vulnerable side that they struggle to connect with other people's. That's a good and point. So, and really- so when, when people are shown that, like, they run because we're all afraid of being known intimately, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, like, I have that fear of just, like, I just am, like, once anyone, like, gets to know me, they'll just, like, know that I'm a complete phony like that. And I really feel that way. And, and, and like, I don't want to feel that way. Right. Like I want to feel differently, but I think it's like, it's such a common human fear where you're like, man, like if someone like really got to know me, they'd know like how like fragile I am. Oh yeah. Well, well and I think, I think that's pretty universal to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, like there are people who have been at their jobs for 20 years who are like, what if they one day find out that I actually suck at this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, obviously you've been here for 20 years. You're doing something right. Right. Yeah. And like, like you have plenty of good people in your life who love you and support you know the real you. And I think, I don't think that would be the case if you were that kind of person where it's like, oh, well, I have to hide the true, my true self and I'm a phony. And once they actually find out what I'm like, they'll bounce. Yeah. And and I think like at the end of the day, like, and I think we, we would both agree on this. It's like, I want to be the person who like makes someone else feel comfortable about like their humanity. 
more than oh, I want to sure. be like the like stone cold, like confident person, you know, because it's like being a human is just like such a messy experience. And I feel mm-hmm. like people who try and play it cool through life, like they kind of, they you like, you miss out on opportunities to like lift other people, you know? Oh yeah. Well, we're all just such clumsy idiots. Yeah. Emotionally and physically and spiritually and financially, really every way, like we are all just figuring it out and trying our best. And it's kind of a disservice to pretend to do otherwise, I think. And obviously you don't, I mean, you probably shouldn't lead with like the worst things about yourself, (laughs) but like being holistic and being, yeah, like I'm, (laughs) yeah. I'm just, I don't think I'll ever do that. That, 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 that brings up a story that kind of illustrates this point. Like I went on a date with a girl one time and it was a first date. I met her on a dating app and she was like, my first impression of her, I was like, she's like really cute. And like, she's, you know, like fun to talk to. And I picked her up and like, we drove to get food. And like the first thing she said when we sat down and she was like, Hey, I just need to let you know that I'm like coming off a two year psychedelic drug bender and i've been like hardcore into like lsd (laughs) and she was like so i just want to let you know that like that's where i've been (laughs) and like i appreciate the emotional intimacy there but like two years is a long time yeah it's a long time to be doing psychedelics man yeah, so I feel like, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure that would have come out eventually, but I feel like it's like, wait, at least to see if there's interest in a second day before you, like, dump your, like, I don't know. <laughs> can, I, can I tell a similar story of a day oh, please, where dude. somebody overshared? Okay, please. so I want to say this was a first date as well, and I was pretty excited about this girl, to be honest, like, she was cool, we were hitting it off, and she like she went into like really weird a weirdly detailed story of like this time where she was on a on like a dance trip in Samoa and she like shit her pants while she was with the whole dance group and like like all of us have pooped our pants in the South Pacific at least once I get it but like maybe don't tell people that right off the bat you know yeah yeah and i don't know what the moral of this story is but i I, to this day i describe her as like the girl i went out with a couple times who pooped her pants in tonga or samoa or whatever it was yeah and it's like we're all going to be known for probably one or two things in our lives and like maybe pick a good one (laughs) well so what's funny about that to me though and what's funny about relationships is i feel like that story told at the right time would totally like strengthen your relationship. So if you're like dating a girl and you've, you've been like hanging out for a couple months and you're like really into her, you know, and then like, she tells you like, Hey, I need to tell you something. Like I pooped my pants in Samoa. <laughs> I feel like then can, I'm like, Oh, can, can like, we sit down? Can we, can we talk? <laughs> and yeah. Like well, at that point it's like, okay. Okay. It's funny. Cause like, we have rapport and like there are other things I will know this girl for and this will just be a blip in the grand scheme of things. But if it's like, if it's like you tell me you dropped a loaf in your trousers in 
the islands and then we go out like maybe one more time and you dip but like that's all i'm gonna remember you for oh absolutely so it's, it's just funny I like and it's it's like you have to be strategic about like dropping those intimate details because it's like everyone is messy but it's like if you get all of the mess up front it's like it'll scare mm-hmm. you off you know so you gotta you gotta respect that right? what well, i think and I think that's the scary thing about being vulnerable is like, like figuring out the finesse of opening up, but not oversharing, but not undersharing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like we all, we all have like the friend or like the family member who once it hits like a certain level of discomfort, they just shut off. Like, oh yeah. Stop. And like, there's nothing that's worse for a relationship than that. I feel like, there's yeah, like like I would rather get screamed at than get stonewalled. I think. Yeah, I agree. I do. You don't have to pick either one, but. But I mean, it's gonna happen. You know, you're gonna have to pick pick one at some point. Oh sure. Yeah, <laughs> you may have to spin that roulette wheel once or twice. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think I think vulnerability can be a tricky thing, but I think I've never. Not never. There have only been a few times where being vulnerable is not the right decision. Yeah, I feel like one, it can't. Okay, so this is like my opinion. Feel free to push back on this, but I feel like no, it's there, here. Are, it's here. there are people who, and I feel like maybe I've been guilty of this sometimes without knowing it, but I feel like there are people who like, they share a lot of detail with you like really quick to try and like create like a faux intimacy with you. you know mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like, Hey, like, you know, that I pooped my pants in Samoa. Like we're like so tight, but it's like, there's, I hope this girl doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> she would be so mortified. I don't think, uh, I'm not going to give her name girl. If you're listening, like I don't tell people your name. So yeah, no, and I don't just, know your name, girl, and we love you and just, respect just you. Breathe just breathe deeply. I mean, you're happily married rethink, now. I'm thrilled rethink, for you. Rethink your your detail rundown on your first dates. That's all. We're, that's all we're trying to say. Like, you know, we respect you. <laughs> Man, bless her heart. But like, I just feel like there's a certain degree of intimacy that you can't like. You have to like have spent a lot of time with that person, and you have to. Oh, like, no, I, I totally agree. You know, and, and I feel like you there's. I dated one girl in particular who I'm also not going to say who it was, but I feel like she like overshared to the max to try and like, it was like almost manipulative. It was almost like, Hey, like I've like shown you all the sides of myself. Like, why won't you worship me forever? You know? And it's like, well, I, yeah. So anyway, yeah, then, no, all this advice and keep in mind, I am not a dating success story. So like take all of this advice with the biggest grain of salt you can find. <laughs> And I mean, neither am I. I mean, I don't know. I've had I've had good relationships with people that, that you know we both grew from, and like maybe didn't work out. And I've had ones that like rock my world, and everything in between. I mean, I guess that's just kind of how it goes until you find the one. So here's a question: Have yeah, do you have like a relationship you look back on and you're like, shoot, like I dodged a bullet. Like I'm so glad I didn't end up with that person. Mm. <sighs> yes and no like not necessarily in a oh they're a piece of trash way 
but in like a, oh, we really would have been unhealthy together. But I think separate, we're fairly healthy people. Interesting. Because I think, yeah, like I've never, I've never had an ex who like would kill my dog or anything. <laughs> like, okay. like I've, I've been lucky enough to dodge those bullets, but I've had exes where we really brought out the worst in each other. And so in that sense, I've dodged a bullet, but you asked that question, like you have an ex that I absolutely that comes do. To I absolutely do. And, and I want right, to, and I want to, and I want to hear this because I'm sure we've talked about it at least once, but I need a refresher. I just like, honestly, is like the one girl that I've ever been in love with. And like, for whatever, and like, I don't know why I was, but like, basically, I feel like no one's going to be listening to this that is connected to her anyway because it's been so long and like i really like do like hope she's doing well and like wish her the best so it doesn't come from a place of like she's a horrible person because like she's not but like mm-hmm. I, I went on my mission and she ended up marrying someone else Damn. and like it hurts super bad and it went down in like a really bad way but i'm like so grateful that i was gone on my mission like i honestly like there are so many things worth it to me about serving a mission, but like if I would, I would do it all over again just for that one payoff. Cause like, had she hung around, I would literally be married to someone that like made me hate myself and I would not be doing music. And it just was not good. And I don't want to list. Yeah. yeah I'm not like Dr. Phil or anything, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that if your relationship makes you hate yourself, you probably should dip. No, but yeah, but the thing is, like, I was, like, so young that I didn't get that, you know, I was just like, oh, man, like, I have, like, this chemistry and, like, this infatuation for this person, and, like, I can't, in my mind, it was like, I can't live without this, and then it's like, I live without it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, it's like a couple years of sobriety or something, (laughs) you're like, I'm so glad I stopped doing meth. (laughs) And I can, and I can relate, uh, not with the sobriety, if... I'm still trying to kick my meth habit, but right, right. We're we're all rooting for you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I those Southern Oregon roots run deep. <laughs> no, but <laughs> but wait, what were we talking about before meth? Sorry, I was just saying like I dated a girl and then she ended up getting married to someone else, and it was like so good for my life. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And like I hope, so, and I hope that like it, and I'm sure it was good for her life too. You know, like I'm sure like. So I'm not trying to like put all the blame on her. Like I am. And she's like kind of the worst or whatever. (laughs) But like, I'm not though. No, I understand. And I think, I think a lot of that just, (laughs) just comes down to you. I mean, like, like, dude, when you're like 20 or 22, you are dumb. And it's not your fault. You're just dumb. Like you're still you still have a ton to learn. Yeah. And it's like, nobody should treat you like you're dumb because you're 20 or 22 or whatever. But like, definitely don't make any permanently life altering decisions. Like the tattoos you get then will probably suck. The marriage you enter then will probably suck. Like, I don't know. Give yourself time to figure stuff out basically. Yeah. And I say that as someone who got married at 22 and had it like quickly end up like the challenger disaster where right. 
we had a cool 50 seconds where it was like, wow, this is crazy. This is exciting. And then all of a sudden the spaceship breaks apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Apollo 13 or whatever, where it like the, the you just, your fingers start falling off, you know? And yeah, I, I can't stand when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I almost like, I just like that we're in like deep territory here. I, I want to jump to these Twitter questions. Okay. We can, we can keep the deep theme and answer the questions. Yeah. Let's keep the deep theme. Um, I want to know, and, and you can pass and we can edit this out if you want, but how many, how many relationships have you had where you've met the girl on, on Twitter? Cause people love you on Twitter for good reason. Like, I feel like I know you and I know how like dope your personality is, but I feel like it like really comes through and people are magnetically attracted to that as they should be. I appreciate but, that, man. Thank you. Yeah. Like how, how many relationships you had via Twitter? <sighs> Let me think. Official relationships. One. Okay. Um, I've had I've had a few people where we've kind of explored the idea a little, and it wasn't right. And we're like great friends now, but yeah, just one that I dated officially where it was like really a thing. Gotcha. That's still though. I mean, it's certainly saying something because I feel like you really see someone's personality on 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 the Twitter on the Twitter. Yeah. Well, well, you do, and you do. But on the other hand, it. It's interesting because I think I think on Twitter, like a lot of people lead with the worst of themselves as well. Yeah, that's true. And there's, there's and like a tendency to like unleash all your negativity on Twitter mm-hmm. first, which is not good. All your negativity or also just like play down your strengths and the goodness in you. And I know that makes me sound like a like a peewee gymnastics coach, but like, <laughs> but like maybe focus on the things you love about yourself a little more, and you'll feel a little better. Yeah. And I feel like on Twitter, and I mean, everybody needs an outlet to be like to express their frustration with themselves or with their situation. But like, I think it can be really easy to get entrenched in that and get stuck. Yeah, it almost becomes like a weird bit that you start doing because you're like, oh, like I'm so depressed, haha. <laughs> like I'm addicted to meth, haha. <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then and then it becomes because it's like people react to that, you know? They react to like, oh yeah, like I do that, like I, you know, take Lexapro mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. But then I feel like you you see that people respond to that, and then there's like the subconscious want to like reengage that, and then people there are certain people that I know in real life and then I see their Twitter feed and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're so like mis- misrepresenting yourself. Right. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. It's like, like there, there, there are some people where I can't stand their Twitter, but I love them in real life and vice versa. And, and I think, I think it all comes down to authenticity. Like it's hard to be authentic and it's scary, but like the more you can focus on the holistic view of yourself, I think the better. And there are some people who are genuinely depressed a lot of the time. And I don't fault them for that. Right. But it shouldn't become a meme. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's a good point. And like, um, I mean, it can. Like, you can make light of it if that's something that helps you cope. But I don't think that, like, I don't think it should be treated as something to not take seriously or something to, like, not work on improving the best you can 
Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Um, that being said, I'm going to ask you one. I'm going to ask you the first question. Okay. Okay. This is your chance to like really just be yourself. Just be authentic, Chris. Okay. okay. Just be, take a holistic approach All right. to, to authenticity here. Um, just dig into my soul. So this, this first question is from Marissa Elephant Soul. And she, she says, okay. uh, Chris, is ice cream important to the salvation of souls or not? And why do you feel the way you do about ice cream? Hmm. I, I don't know if it's essential, but I, it is probably no, because there are people that there are people that can't eat ice. Not they can do like halo top or whatever. Yeah. It's essential. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that. Like I think dairy, like if you don't eat dairy, like you are going to hell, like you're going to hell. And, and I, that's why despite my severe lactose intolerance, I eat a lot of dairy and it means I'm just like, suffering because of it but also the instant gratification makes it sort of worth it right yeah opposition in all things you know yeah um like maybe i can't i can't take like a step without tiptoeing because i'll poop my pants if i do but like i had a bowl of ice cream that was good and i can bear that cross yeah, I had a McFlurry and the M&Ms were rock hard and broke my molars, but I got, I made it to the bottom, you know, and like, there you that, go. And that's what matters. Yeah. Um, here's another one from Mac J nine. Okay. Says, Chris is Utah better than Ohio question mark. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Utah can be difficult in a lot of ways, but Utah is not somewhere that your soul dreads. I mean, maybe for some people it is. I shouldn't, I shouldn't project my experience onto everybody, but like, no, but these people are asking you, Chris, they want, they want to know the oh, the mouth. Oh, Ohio is awful. Okay. I would rather, I would rather be hit by a school bus than move to Ohio again. And the okay. school bus could be going fast. How fast? I'm going to say like 50. Okay. Okay. And would you, would this kill you or would it just leave you critically maimed and like mentally handicapped? I mean, it's a bus going 50 miles an hour, so I don't love my chances. Right. But, but <laughs> <laughs> either way, I mean, I, yeah, I, I cannot understate the visceral fear and dread and hatred I have of Ohio. Okay. And, and I, I love that you opened up about that. And I, I'm never going to go, I'm never going to Ohio now. That's it's settled. Um, if you have to go to all 50 States and check it off your list, just fly to Detroit, dip into Toledo and bounce in like 10 minutes. You're done. There is a really good John Denver song about Toledo, Ohio. So maybe I will go to Toledo for, for a hot second, but just, there you go. Second. Also, is it just me or does John Denver look exactly like the kid who plays froggy on the little rascals? Okay, I can't remember what that kid looks like, but I feel like John Denver, he looks like an 80s, like, middle-aged woman. Dude, you should pull up the picture of Froggy right now. Okay, I'm pulling it up. Uh, Froggy from what did you say? Uh, the Little Rascals. Almost heaven. Dude, he does. Good night. <laughs> I know this is just audio, but holy cow. Yeah, for those listening at home, you should Google a picture of John Denver and then put a picture of the kid who plays Froggy and Little Rascals right next to it, and you're looking at fraternal twins. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for teaching me that, Chris. 
You're welcome. Um, another question. This is from Le Minbach. Uh, were Chris, were the glasses worth what you paid? Yeah, uh, I have less headaches now. That's good. Or I have I have fewer headaches. Excuse me, we're on the air. We'll be grammatically correct. Yeah, you shame on you. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have like severe vision issues, but I I strain my eyes a lot and I have a little stigmatism. And also the blue light from my computer at work really rocks my world. So yeah, dude. Well, I think are the, all of that combined. The glasses, glasses really help. the aforementioned glasses, are these the ones you're wearing right now? Because you look great. They are, and thank you very much. I really I'm thrilled with myself because I can see, and it's not like I don't have to squint all the time to to have my eyes feel okay. So I'm I'm basically on cloud nine with these. Dude, well, so those glasses are kind of like one degree removed from the Searstone glasses that Spencer W. Kimball and every prophet before then wore. Like, they kind of have those, like, like if they had the black and, like, the, <laughs> like, it's not that far removed from that. So I'm Just like, like the ones that you keep way, way on the edge of your nose, like President Jones. <laughs> exactly, dude. Shout out to our mission president, President Jones. He's Shout out to President Jones. Look at me now. Bet you're not at all surprised. <laughs> You know, I, I, I wonder I wonder if President Jones thinks I'm super inactive because um, he brought up my music at a mission reunion and he didn't sound too excited about it. But, you know, that's me. That's presumptuous of me. I don't know. And we haven't really talked in a while, but I love him, you know. I um, hope he's, hope he's uh, doing his thing. I'm sure he is. Building signs and kissing nines. <laughs> Or okay. probably just his wife, Sister Jones, anyway. Yep. Uh, so this question is from Michael Schultz. Um, okay. Chris, who would you settle down with, Han Solo or Indiana Jones? I would say Han, probably. Okay. Because I feel like he's got enough panache to make it interesting. And he likes to he likes to live off the cuff, but also is grounded and reliable. See, for me personally, and I, I realize that this is your interview, but I'm, I'm just going to take a liberty. I would do Indiana Jones purely because I would want to hear him say, "This belongs in a museum," regularly, you know, <laughs> like just vehemently, "This belongs in a museum." <laughs> I don't know why I love it, but I do. <laughs> Your, your husband of 30 years, Indiana Jones, just looking at your sculpted arms. I'm just like decrepit. This belongs to the <laughs> Yeah. And I would, I would laugh, you know, it'd be like a good. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be That's a, such a good bit for like a married couple that's been together for ages. Dude, I cannot wait. Like, I know, like, I used to be really afraid of aging, but I feel like when I'm like 80, I'm going to have so much fun just being so crazy and seeing. Oh, like, dude, yeah. Like. like like, what are they going to do? Yell at you? You can't hear them anyway. Right. And I mean, like, honestly, I want, I want to, like, stop a fight with, with my cane. Like, I want to physically injure a small child with my cane who is – no, not a small child. Like, a teenager. You know? That's, <laughs> like, that's dark. Like, not, not I want to stop a fight. I want to beat the shit out of a little kid with this wood. <laughs> no, I want to stop a fight, you know, with, with a cane. And, like, I, I just – I have weird fantasies about getting old. We can get no, in. I, get that. I I just want to like sit in my super cush grandpa chair 
and like watch Jeopardy and eat Werther's original candies and just vibe. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of vibing that's definitely going to be happening. Cause it's like, what else do you do when you're old other than vibe? Like you can't really walk. Yeah, you spend your entire 401k on vibing. That's what it's for. Yeah. You like go to the country club and you yeah. talk about the economy, you know, you talk about the way that it used to be and where the vibes used to be and where they are now. And that's all the vibes you do. now are you can't work in a factory and raise a family of six on that income. Right. That's how the vibe has changed. Unlike the good old days when you could, when you could work in a factory. <laughs> when you just came back from like Normandy and you you and your wife Betty are settling down in Ohio back when Ohio was nice. You're like you fresh. bought a house for twelve dollars and a pack of winter fresh gum. You're like and you're like twenty-three and you have a, four kids. Fresh off the boat from from Nam with just like tons of PTSD and like a recent heroin addiction, and you're just ready to preach America. And you know, like it's not going to be beautiful like that. Even though we like got totally smoked in the war, you like come back with this weird chip on your shoulder and this pride. We got rocked in Nam, dude. We did. That's a pretty dark dark side of America. We really did. Like, I don't know. I mean. I feel like there's so many sides of American history where it's like, I don't think I want to talk about that. And so we don't, we just don't put it in the history books because it's embarrassing. And maybe America could be more vulnerable in being known as well. Yeah. I feel like I, where I'm at as far as like, I am super grateful that I was born in America and I'm grateful for like what the founding fathers did. Like, you can talk about them as complicated people. Right. And I'm okay with that conversation, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, I am grateful that like I was born in a free country and I wasn't born in like Soviet Russia. Like I recognize that. And I recognize like that um, blessing, but at the same time, I feel like I'm not, I find it difficult to celebrate all aspects of American history. Like some people seems to be easy for them. And um, yeah, well, and that's the thing. I think, I think, I think people paint it, with too broad of a brush on both sides. Yeah. Like America is not, you know, the defender of freedom worldwide, the arbiter of morality and of industry and of education that we think we are, but also it's not like a dump. Like there are a lot of good people here and a lot of opportunities here. And I think it's something that we should invest in and make it better, but we've got a pretty good slate to begin with. Yeah, and as so, far as countries go. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot to be grateful for about being an American. And so I feel like it's like I do kind of have beef with like the general millennial philosophy of like we've been lied to and like we're so oppressed now. We didn't know. It's like, yeah, we didn't know that Columbia I believe like we I'm didn't totally know that, on board with that because like we kind of were. Well, like I'm on board with like correcting maybe myths or like whitewashed truths that we were taught like i'm definitely on board with that but i feel like it's it's simplistic to just be like america is bad like america is a bad place because it's like just like people like countries aren't all good or all bad and i feel like there's just like not a very nuanced conversation happening around like oh yeah what right now i would agree with that there's there's not much nuance around it and it's it's tricky because on the one hand, yeah, America has committed a whole lot of atrocities worldwide. Like we we put our hands in so many cookie jars that we shouldn't be in, and we justify a ton of nefarious things. But also, your average American is a pretty good person trying their best. 
Yeah. And so I think I think that that should be celebrated. The people, the people versus the institution. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like um what should be celebrated is like those fundamental freedoms that for whatever reason we've been able to hold off the government from taking away from us for this long. I feel like that's something to be celebrated, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think I think America's history is just way too complicated to tackle in one section of a podcast episode. But I personally <laughs> like No, I disagree. Yeah, I call <laughs> the politician or something with that complex view. But um, but no, I in well, general well, like go ahead. Let's pull it back then. Let's pull it back to a simplistic zone so we can we can delve into something else because I really like this next question from okay. Taylor, yeah, Master Patella Holder. Okay. Okay. If you were dehydrated, would you drink your own pee? Chris. Is there water? I like am I am I am I somewhere? <laughs> so hypothetically I feel like there are better beverage options that come to hypothetically, mind like off you, the top of my head. You are literally Bear Grylls, and you're going to get paid a million dollars to drink pee from a dead rattlesnake skin. Would you do oh, it? Oh, dude. Yeah, if I'm making a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. You are. You are. And you, you have an Australian accent, and you're kind of crazy, but dude. you are making a lot of money. He's Australian, right? Or am I, I don't know. I want to say he's English. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I, they, they're, they're all the same over there. They... <laughs> Lo- lo- love tea and talk weird <laughs> we're so american but yeah oh, I love fancy fancy glass of pace exactly and, and so i i'm i feel like in that case you should drink your own pee and you should get a million dollars and you should take me out to lunch because i'm poor oh dude i yeah i mean like first item of business i gotta wash this pee taste out of my mouth we gotta go exactly. get food we gotta go get some sketchy chinese food in chinatown that might kill us but probably won't. Dude, that place was so good. It was amazing. Goodness. Amazing. I think about it like every day. Um, so this next dude named Jim, he asked like 10 questions. And Jim, like, I respect you as a human being, but you took it too far. I want you to know that you took it too far. And we're <laughs> only gonna take two of your questions, Jim. Okay. Um and imagine being personally called out on this podcast. Yeah, you're, he's the first one after my ex-girlfriend that I called out earlier in this episode. Um, who she and the girl who pooped her pants in Samoa. I mean, yeah, she kind of got the heat there at the beginning. You know, and that's okay because she got the heat in her pants in Samoa as well. <laughs> um, so so um, <laughs> Jim asks, <laughs> what is our biggest mistake as humans? Oh, wow. I know that I was just talking about drinking my pee and now we're going with that. Yeah. Well, Jim, he, again, <laughs> took it too far. So <laughs> our biggest mistake is humans. Yeah. I think. Shoot. Um, let me think, man. If there's one, I think it's underestimating our own capabilities. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Like, don't be afraid to mess up. Everybody does it. Everybody has moments where they look like a complete moron because they mess something up. But really, like, nobody's paying attention. Yeah. I think that's a good good point. I think it's like we have a weird ego in our brain that tells us that people are thinking about us all the time and judging us. 
And the reality is like those people are just doing their laundry or taking a nap and we don't exist in their brain really. And we should just send it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like you might feel like you're the main character, but really you're like the dude who played Darren in Toy Story. Right. I don't even know that one. Thinking, who's Darren? I don't know. I don't know. He, nobody paid attention because nobody cares. So just mess up and it's fine. But that part where the toy turns its or Andy turns his head all around the all the way around and he's like, We toys see everything. That's a legendary, that's a, probably the greatest I, I think, in I modern think, cinematic history. I think it was I think it was it, it was fantastic, but I think it was Woody that did that, not Andy. Because Andy was like the seven-year-old. <laughs> when you said it, I thought of this like second grader just turning his head around like an owl. Oh wait, that was the grudge where the kid, the little kid, possessed. Sorry. Play nice. <laughs> oh yeah. So play nice. Oh, such a good movie, man. It really is. Dude, that one stood the test of time in a big great, way. Great soundtrack. You know, Tim Allen. Rain, Tim Allen. Randy Newman coming clutch. Oh, Randy. Tim Allen is definitely my favorite member of that cast that has been imprisoned for felony cocaine trafficking. He's definitely my favorite um, handyman sitcom character that exists. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know, dude. Bob the Builder. Okay, touche. Bob the Builder was pretty iconic, and I feel like he was a little bit cleaner as far as his personal life goes, from what I. Oh know. yeah, like like Wendy is more or less his implied shorty, but right, but it's implied. He's pretty. He's pretty scandal free, as far as I know. He's never been in jail, so yeah, and 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 he's very positive. Like anytime he gets asked if if he could build it, he's always like, yeah. Like there's never. Yeah. He's like, yes, that's, I, yes, we can. And it's very like communist if you think about it. He's like, yes, comrade, we can. We can build it. That kind of rules, dude. Bob the Builder was a communist. Yeah, which I just am unpacking that literally in real time. And that's kind of rocking my world. Actually. Like <laughs> he's in your the, eyes, dude. There's a lot going on. He's the means of production, you know? Yeah. It's it all about machinery. Yeah. Holy cow, Bob. Good night. Okay, I need to move on from Bob being a communist. I need to, I need to process yeah, you that probably, later. Probably ought to process that. Um, you know, I, I, I actually want I want I want to apologize for calling Jim out because I'm actually I'm reading these questions and they're really good. So like I feel like he took it too far, but he had some really good questions. Um so here's the next one that I want to pick from his bunch. He said, What harsh truths do you prefer to ignore, Chris? Um, what harsh truths do I prefer to ignore? Damn, Jim. Yeah. I think like the possibility of dying alone. Okay. Like it's real and can happen. And also the possibility of dying early. Like I got some really good health news a week or two ago. Yeah. And I was thrilled about it, but like, I knew that even though I got that news, like I could still die in a car accident later that day. Yeah, like that's like life is life is fragile, and I think I think we have a hard time remembering that sometimes. Yeah, I I feel weird about I feel weird about the fragility of life because I feel like. 
I don't know what to do about it. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how that should impact my like day-to-day psychology. And I, so I don't feel like I have a healthy relationship with that concept yet. So I don't know that I I think, I think it's a good, I think it's a good truth to ignore, to be honest. Yeah. I, it's, it's weird because it's like people, I mean, I hear all this, like, I love stoicism and there's a lot about like live each day and like, remember that you're going to die. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it's like, you also have to prepare for a future that also could be inevitable where like, if you don't prepare for, if you don't do the things that you don't want to do in order to like create a better tomorrow for yourself, you might be equally miserable as if you had died in the gut. Right. Being hit so, by so stoicism, the stoics, who was their contemporaries were the Epicurean. So I think, right? I think Those are like the two differing schools of thought. Yeah. I want to say it was Epicureanism versus Stoicism. You might be right. And I might not do a fact check later to, to conf- confirm or deny that. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, but uh, like, weren't they a little more like crap is going to happen, but like you'll be all right. Yeah, it's a little bit more about like embracing the suffering that human beings feel and like understanding that that's integral to your development as a person. And like that resonates with me a lot because I feel like personally, I'm the most happy when I'm like really pushing against life. I don't know why. That's interesting. I'm not like, I feel like I don't thrive in like a leisure and leisure and leisure like a majority of my life, if it's leisure and like play, I get really depressed. Interesting. And I don't know. And I mean, I could see that. I mean, it's hard for that to feel meaningful when you do it. For, it's like the Sesame Street episode where they have Christmas every day. And by December 28th, they're like, oh my God, dude, this sucks. Yeah. And, and I think like, you know, I have like pioneer ancestors, you know, who like literally were like, intense enough to just like march across north america to get to utah and like live their faith and i feel like a lot of that like angst and just like pushing against the handcart is in my dna of just like i gotta freaking like i need to battle you know yeah and and like well, I think- I, i'm not saying that makes me like better or worse than an, and someone who like doesn't enjoy that as much i don't want to like come off of like coming on like i'm on a high horse or something but i feel like there's like part of me that really just wants to be like in a fight every day you know, I get that. I personally, I don't like conflict, but I do like resistance. Okay. Interesting. Can you like, I like, yeah. So I like to, I like to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I like, I like having to prove myself, but I don't like, I don't like feeling like I'm on eggshells or fragile ground or anything like that. Does that make more sense? Like that, that makes sense. I like a healthy amount of resistance and challenge and you know being pushed to be the best i can be but i don't want to feel like i'll be in trouble if i fall short yeah what's funny is like i i'm not that way so i feel like like i used to be super into like extreme sports um and like there's something i love about the feeling of like i'm like could die today doing something that i'm going to do on purpose I don't know. There's just something like thrilling to me about that. And when uh, I was younger, I was a lot more that way, but, but I still wanted to like have a, have an exit strategy. Yeah. Like I, I never, I, I never sent it to the point where it was like, 
I will die if this fails. Other than like roller coasters, I guess. And, and Cliff, yeah, maybe I did. I don't know. I just remember like, I, I used to be super into mountain biking. That was like my thing. And I like wanted to uh-huh. be like a pro and like sponsored. And like, I, w- I was okay. But I remember like when I got the best that I ever got, I remember like we took this trip to Southern Utah and I crashed that day. Like I like fell off a cliff <laughs> in Southern Utah. Don't like, be doing that. And I like, I survived. But I just remember like, that was like one of the happiest days of my life for some reason where I like faced like that near death experience. I don't know. Like I'm not, well, I think, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Like I, I really, no, but I, I think I those experiences hearing. rock when you pull it off. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I, I almost got swept out to sea at the Oregon coast one time. Cause I like, I ended up getting caught in a rip or something mm-hmm. and, and it was dicey for a while. And I wondered if I would make it and I did. And okay. so now that experience is meaningful, but like, if I didn't make it, I would have just been like, well, this sucks. I'm yeah. 17 and I'm drowning. Like, yeah. So, I mean, like, maybe it's like, there's something about like being on that teetering edge of like, you're really feeling life and you're not like in a cushy, cozy box, but you're like, also you're pulling it off. You're not like teetering yeah. the edge of death and like insanity. I don't know. Right. I don't think, I don't think people should live the life from office space, but I also don't think people need to like, walk a tightrope over the Grand Canyon to have that part of themselves be fulfilled. Yeah. And, and, um, I don't know what it is about like certain types of people that like want to take those risks and feel like they need to like do those extreme challenges to feel fulfilled. You know, like I, I don't really know what like the psychology is behind that, but I feel like there's definitely like some of that in me and like, yeah, it's almost like more dangerous to like my mental health and like my vitality to be like super comfortable in a weird way. That's, that's interesting. I I think it's interesting when, when you do those cost benefit analyses and the results aren't what you would expect. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, I'm taking more risk and therefore I feel safer. And this is overall better for my health. Like that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And And I feel like, Go for it. Sorry. Go. Okay. No, you're good. Uh, did you watch Free Solo? Yes, I did. Okay, so that was I think Alex Honnold is a douche. I can't <laughs> stand the guy. I like, love, I respect I love this he, take. Let's do it. Go. I respect what he did. Like That was really cool to scale Half Dome or whatever, but like the dude is so unrelatable. And you watch that and his girlfriend is like the sweetest lady and she's just like, yeah, he hasn't said I love you in like years and he's never really emotionally present, but like we get along great, I think. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so sad. Yeah. I, and so it's like it's like I think I think it's good to push the envelope and I think it's good to challenge yourself, but I don't think you should get so in the zone that you forget everything else life has to offer. Yeah. And I get that like I get that like if you're scaling half dome or El Capitan, or whatever he did, uh, you have to be in the zone. Right. Like, obviously, you have to be in the zone. But I don't know. And maybe his life is fulfilling, and it's more fulfilling than mine, and I'm just talking out of my butt. But I think, I think people ought to be more holistic and well-rounded. 
No, I think that's true. And that's something actually I've, I've been trying to work on lately. I feel like if you're, and I, I have a similar feeling about Alex Honnold, or at least like the way he was portrayed in that film, I feel like I was like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. And, may, and maybe I should put that qualifier on there. Like maybe he's a totally cool guy in real life. But in the like, film, I, he looked you like definitely got the jerk. Got, got the feeling that it was like, he was in love and married to climbing and this random girl who like happened to put up with him was like way down on the totem pole. And like, he was just like, well, I guess I'll keep her around. Cause she's like, okay with that, you know? Yeah. Like she makes me food for my climbs. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. And yeah, that that's like, makes me sad for the girl because I'm like, no one deserves that. Like people, you know, deserve to have. Well, she was totally cool, dude. Like, when they when they interviewed her and she was just like super interesting to talk to and like just seemed like a really sweet, cool, smart person. It's like, are those gifts being appreciated as much as they should? Probably not, you know. And like, I, it, I don't it, think so. And I'm not. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, I would treat her better than Alex Honnold. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like you would, <laughs> you know. It's like you say it, but it's like you would. So, um, yeah. Um, that I is, think I do a pretty good job. Sonny, call me. Yeah, she she was she was a babe too. I remember being like, "Wow, this girl is is really cute," and she's just really living in a van down by the river with this gangly crazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, uh, babe, uh, can you make me some quesadillas when I get back from climbing El Cap? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, he's like, maybe we'll buy a house in Arizona. I don't know. I want to live in my van. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but, but, but I, that I think there's some people who just like are not cut out to settle down at all. And I think Alex Honnold is one of them. Like he needs to be free and needs to be solo, if you will. Yeah. I mean, just to pick a couple random qualifying words. Yeah. He definitely needs to be free and solo. Yeah. I, I agree. It, it just, it just sounded right. I don't think it ties back to anything in particular. No, but. I feel like, yeah, but I, I'm glad that you picked those words. Like, that resonates. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up with these questions so that we can, so I don't have to worry about them anymore. And um, Okay, you're good. We have, we have one from Shane Seger. Um, okay. His pronouns are me, you, us. Um, thanks for clarifying that. Doesn't that make sense. It doesn't. But he says, Chris, why are we arch enemies? And how many ways have I destroyed you like a failed presidential campaign in court? I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> and what if I had we... a mortal enemy, he definitely wouldn't be named Shane. Do you, do you know that, that meme of um, who's the dude from Mad Men? Oh yeah, where it's like I hate you. I I don't think about you at all. Yeah, and he's like I don't think about you at all. Like I literally just watched that play out in real time. <laughs> this guy's like, yes, like, why are we our enemy? Right. They're like, I don't even know you, Shane. Shane, we don't all know right, you, Shane. Let's fight, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess. No, I don't really have mortal enemies. Honestly, if if there's anyone I'm afraid to fight on this questions list, I think it's Jim. Because Jim, like, I feel like, at, like he could give me an emotional beatdown with his scary questions. Oh, dude, Jim, like, in 30 seconds could find the deepest recesses of your insecurities and just exploit them if he wanted. I don't think he would, but he could. He definitely could. And, Jim, um, I, I really appreciate your questions. Um, so, I guess, like, 
to kind of segue into maybe like the final segment of our, our discussion. Um, what is it about like geography and, and city planning that you're so passionate about? Because I, I love that you're passionate about it. I really do. And I find it inspiring, but I, I, I want to know why. Oh my gosh, dude, where to start? Um, I think, I think, and I'm, I touched on this a bit earlier. I think geography shapes everything we do. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, you look at all other uh, forms of art Mm-hmm. And you can see the geography in it. Like you look at, I'll give you an example. So I, I love Dutch painters. Like I love, I love Rembrandt. I love Vermeer. I love those guys. And you notice that they all, the lighting in their paintings looks pretty similar to each other. Yeah. Like it's like that, it's like that subdued, cool lighting. And I had the chance to go to Amsterdam last summer mm-hmm. and the the lighting there looked like that and and it's interesting because like i look at a monet painting and obviously Monet was french and the lighting looks like when i visit my relatives in france so i think i think a lot i think where you're from influences a lot more of your life than you realize oh absolutely and and i mean you see that with music too like there are definitely regional regional scenes in different genres that like all kind of sound the same. And I don't think that's necessarily because everybody's playing off of each other. I think a lot of it has to do with like the culture of that place. Yeah. It's really interesting because like, and I don't want to get like too woo woo about this. No, I do. I do want to get like, so get, get woo woo, man. I know you want to. Okay. So like, in New York, for example, where I live right now, so there's this band. There's like a legendary punk band from the '70s called Television. Okay, uh-huh. and like they played in like the Lower East Side clubs here in New York, and like they played like shows with the Ramones, and they have this music that like it's um it's just really distinct sounding and fast forward to modern times bands like the strokes and interpol they sound a lot like television interesting they claim that they never listened to it though growing up and i kind of believe them like i don't necessarily think that it's like a direct influence where they like listen to a television record and then they're like okay we're now gonna like create the strokes and it's i think it was like there's just something about like the collective consciousness and like the memories of like the physicality of a place. Oh yeah. Stay with the artistic movement and it will be there forever. You know? Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, I mean, I can't speak to, to rock and roll as well as you can, but with rap, you see that a lot as well. Like you look at the New York rap scene and even even the slow songs, like the chill songs, are kind of fast. Mm-hmm. Like you look at New York State of Mind by Nas, and it's like there's like this ambient city type feel in the background. And like it's, I mean, even on a relaxing day in New York, you can hear horns and you hear people talking. And it's, just, it's a busy place all the time. Whereas you look at the Houston rap scene and you have like, dj screw and the chopped and screwed movement where it's like 
everything is like incredibly syrupy and slow. And it's like how people act in Houston. Mm-hmm. I love like that. Like pe- yeah. people talk more slowly, life moves more slowly. And I think that's, I think it's really interesting to see those parallels. And so I think, I think I love geography because it shapes who somebody is. And that's one of my first questions to everybody is where are you from? Because I, I know a lot about somebody based on what they're, where they're from. And like, it's not, I mean, that's not necessarily me making assumptions or like feeding into stereotypes or anything. This is like, Oh, this is the culture of where you're from. And if you were raised in that, like that would have taught you a huge amount of things. And as I get to know you more, I'll probably see more of those. And that's almost always the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it is really interesting. And I feel like I wonder how much of that is going to go away as the more and more people are online. Like, I wonder like how much of culture is going to be erased into like a globalist, like wasteland of content, you know? I- I don't know, man. It would be interesting to see. But on the other hand, like the other side of that coin is you get a lot of cool fusion stuff where it's like, like, like the Korean hip hop scene right now is pretty unbelievable. It's super cool. And I'm not talking like K-pop. I'm talking like actual Korean hip hop. Like it slaps, dude. And, and it's like, I don't know if hip hop ever would have made it to Korea in that iteration if it weren't for the blogosphere and like being connected on a global scale. Yeah. I I think there are definitely positive elements to the internet and like the way that we can collaborate with other artists, like across the continent and how like you upload your music to Spotify and it's like instantly accessible anywhere in the globe. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. It's cool. Like, so, I mean, growing up in Southern California, right. For me personally, like when I was 14 in my little 14 year old brain, like no one in the entire world did not love the red hot chili peppers and sublime. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And wait, you're from, where are you from again? Carlsbad, Encinitas? Yeah. San Diego, North San Diego. Okay. Um, it's just funny, right? Like just the way that Yeah. And I think that like there we all have this nostalgia for like that simplistic mindset where you're like I my geography and me and the local interests like that's the entire world to me, you know? Oh yeah, well and it forms and it forms so much of your identity. Like I I went to college my freshman year mm-hmm. and I was just doing all the stuff that I normally did. But it was like, oh, I'm Chris the Oregonian who wears a flannel jacket with tie-dye shirt under it and drives a station wagon. Yeah. You know? And it's like, well, everybody does that where I'm from. But all of a sudden, it was unique. And it was like like other Oregonians would notice and be like, okay, dude, that guy has to be from Oregon. It's like if you see somebody with, if you see somebody with Birkenstocks and sandals, it's either like a 38-year-old version computer programmer or like somebody from Oregon. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, that brings up another interesting geography point. How like, like for me personally, my first identity crisis was like my freshman year at BYU. 
I was like, yeah, like I'm from California. And then I got to BYU and I'm like, wait, like all the kids from California are the worst. Like I do not. Oh, dude, like, like the nine, four, nine kids. Yeah. Like the kids from orange County at California, like they, they don't deserve love. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're, they're great people. Like they, I hope that they're successful, whatever, but like, they're not, there are like one or two that are great people, but like by and large, pretty insufferable as a group. And like, just like, dude, too much I would, money. and they would always be like, I surf, like, I can't miss the ocean. Like, I can barely survive without the ocean. I'm like, go back then. Like, please go back. Yeah. It's like, no, dude, if we could just do like a Looney Tunes hacksaw, like, cut Orange County off and just let it float into the Pacific, I'd frankly be thrilled. And other other than my cousins that live there, they they can come live with me in San Diego. McClary's, I love you so much. Please, please remember that. Oh, but, yeah, you just have them drive down to, like, Oceanside and you can pick them up. Absolutely. But I just, yeah, it's, so I just, bringing that back to the geographical conversation, it's like, it's like, it's your entire world. And then when you move, it's your identity. And then you kind of have to decide whether or not, like, how far you're going to take that identity into the way you interact with the rest of the world. And I feel like for me. Exactly. For me, like I've kind of tried my best to like rid myself of a lot of that Californian identity just because I saw the way that like a lot of Californians interacted and were therefore like perceived by other people, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. When I think, I think you see that a lot with like forced assimilation too, where I mean, we have that's we have a storied history of that in America where it's like, how about you act like an American, not wherever you were from before? And right. it's like, no, that's part of who they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and as, as we've embraced that more as a society, I think we've done a lot better. And we've been able to, like, we've been able to experience the food, music, and the art, and the social interactions and the culture of new places we never thought we'd get to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think kind of kind of expanding on that, I think my love for city planning is is based in that sort of connection. Gotcha. I think the the best the the cities and the man-made places that everybody loves and that everybody wants to go to, they're all deliberate and they all mm-hmm. focus on like a tactile experience where you're hearing the sounds and you're smelling the smells and you, you, you feel the cobblestones under your feet and you're like, like interacting with this place. Yeah. On several different, in several different ways. And, and I think there's a lot of value in that. And I mean, you see that there's a lot of monetary value in that. Like where New York is the most expensive to live. Where it's like, right, right, right next to central park because people love, that experience they love they love to get out of the monotony they love to have that tactile experience where it's like this is the city this is the forest however they're both distinct absolutely yeah that so i, I don't know i love that that's really cool it's cool to hear like your passion for it cuz i feel like i i like visiting places i like experiencing different cultures but i feel like i I don't have that same like passion for it that you do. And it's really fun to hang out with you and like for you to just like dish on all the different things, all the crazy like details that you know about different places. Like it's so fun, you know? Oh, dude, like, I, I love, I love that stuff, man. Like it, you're I mean, like, a I'm, I'm a a lot of it. 
so much so. Yeah, you're like a Rolodex. What? This crazy. You're like a Rolodex for all this crazy information about like random places in the world and like the way that culture is across the U.S. Like, I feel like you're gonna write a book someday about like geography and this conversation. Maybe I will. You should, dude. This conversation in particular. Yeah, like where we, where we totally got to the bottom of like everything that's wrong with America. That one part, like you should definitely put that exactly. In. Yeah. Or just be like, I don't know much about Samoa at all, but like people tend to poop their pants there on dance trips. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've never been there. I haven't researched any facts, but I know that. You're like, I definitely know that everyone is that way based off my one interaction yeah. with this girl from I have met Italy. one person from here, therefore I will generalize all of them. Right. Which is if if there's one thing you should take away from this podcast tonight, Talcast listeners, definitely generalize. <laughs> definitely blame society. Blame like please put all of the blame for your problems on society. Can we agree? But on for that? real, do lean into that angst and like that that raging against the machine because I think we all need to do it. We do need to do it. And, and you know what? Punk rock as well. Oh yeah. Well, punk, punk is just so beautifully rooted in, I don't want to do that just because you told me to do it. Right. It's like, I want to pee my pants on purpose while playing the show. You know, there's just something beautiful about that. That's like, that's like Gigi Allen. Well, dude, <laughs> dude, the Sex Pistols, like, that was part of their thing. Like, when they would play shows, like, they would literally pee their jeans, and all the people in the, the, the crowd would pee their jeans. And it was like... Ew. It's gross. I just, <laughs> I, I just can't imagine being in a venue like that where it's just like, this is a crock pot of hot piss. But that's, like, how far the Brits took it. And but like, that's punk rock, dude. It's super punk. That is punk rock. And that's, that's why a lot of them didn't really survive for very long. But, you know, we still listen to the records. Yeah. So. There's yeah, Johnny Rotten's still around, isn't he? Yeah, Johnny Rotten's still around. One of the dudes has a, oh, what's his name? One of the other ones has a, actually has a radio show that's really cool where he interviews people. And really? Like, he can get really cool guests on because he's like such a legend. Um, Interesting. What's his name? Johnny Rotten. Um, Jonesy, Jonesy's jukebox. Okay, okay. Jonesy, I can't, I can't remember what he played in the band, but, and I really should know that. Jonesy's jukebox. Hold on, there's an Ar- there's an Arctic Monkeys song that starts with them on Jonesy's jukebox, isn't there? I don't know, um, but I, but I know that like a bunch of people have been on the show because like he's, you know, like legit rock star legends like want to talk to him more than they want to talk to other like press outlets. So he he's had right. some really legit interviews with like really cool artists because there's like that mutual respect, you know. Oh yeah, real recognize real. Yeah, well, kind of like our conversation right now, you know. Like I'm not I'm not a Twitter celebrity like you, but we go so far back that I feel like you see me for who I am, Chris. You know? Oh yeah, well, and I'm not, and I'm not a budding rock star, like. But, but I will know. I will see you on stage, and I'll see your music videos, and I'll be like. That's Tao, and he threw up on a tree one time, and I was blessed enough to see it. Right, and we were there in that car together where our stomach lining was bursting, but we made it through. Where, where our GI tracts were hanging on by a thread, but in that moment, we were together. Exactly. And we were present, and we were interacting with the environment around us to bring it full circle. 
And I feel like that's honestly probably the best possible place we could end this podcast. Cause I feel like we just brought it. Right. And I like, I don't want to, I don't want to keep going just to, just to keep going, you know? Yeah, no, that was good. It's right into the sunset. But Chris, you know, I love you. Thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything you want to like plug or you want to tell people before we go? I love you too, man. First off, uh, listen to Tal's music. You idiots. I paid him to say that. I paid him to say that. And yeah, thank you for keeping it PG thirteen. You know, I really I appreciate that. You stuck to that, and uh, and you know, I you know that means a lot because we got we got thank little we got little kids out there listening who they're not ready to move away from Oregon yet and get the whole real world experience. You know, they need to live in that. They're not ready to take those Birkenstocks to the streets. Uh, things to plug: support your local businesses. Go eat at a restaurant that you've never been to. Uh, go on a walk around your neighborhood. Go to the best park in your town and just sit under the trees and read a book. Go walk through a cemetery and look at people's names and stories. Um, I don't know. Do something nice for somebody. Call your grandma. There you go. Well, That's pretty much all I got to plug. I don't really have any products to sell. Most of my grandmas are dead, so thanks for that. But, um, but do you have an alive one? I do. I have an alive step grandma and I should call her and I will. Yeah. Give her a call, bro. I will find some other grandma. You can grandmas love like exchange student grandkids. Oh, do they? Can I find like a really, like a really rich one. That's like, you want a trust fund? (laughs) (laughs) In New York, you, you got plenty. Yeah. I should find some like upper East side, like, just high rolling nanny that's like needs a grand dude where where i was just talking about around central park just start knocking doors dude word word all right dude well i'm I'm like super tired it's been real i appreciate you man i'm gonna go to bed but um people are gonna hear this and they're gonna love it this was freaking fun thanks for doing this this is a blast man sleep well we'll talk to you soon all right peace later talk out